Oftentimes, you, when you're studying the Bible, you head in one direction and you end up in a completely other uh, direction. And that's because the Bible is so filled with wonderful truth. And I intend here on Wednesday evenings to talk a little bit about um, the Old Testament shadows. I find those shadows that have been cast upon the Old Testament of great interest to those of us who live under the New Covenant. So I was headed in that direction and just, um, just changed my mind. I want to talk about God with you this evening and ask your help uh, as we talk about the Lord. And perhaps because of uh, the storms, I don't know, but um, I just feel like we need to draw close to God together this evening. If someone asked you, tell me about your God, what would be some things you'd say? Tell me about your God. I'm convinced that many folks who do not follow God have the wrong concept of God. I'm convinced that they really knew our God then they wouldn't hesitate at all to follow him. But because they just hear this and that, and so much of misinformation is out there, and you get little sound blurbs about God, or you get somebody else telling you what they think of God. And then you compile all that together, and you, you walk away, and you don't, you don't have the full concept, you don't have a good concept of God. I heard this preacher say one time, he was on um, an airplane and he was studying his scripture and the person next to him said, well, I'm just not a believer. And the preacher said to the person, he said, tell me about the God you don't believe in and then I'll tell you about the God that I do believe in. And so, he asked the person to explain why they didn't believe in God. And then the person was honest enough and patient enough to let him talk a little bit about the God that he believed in. And so that's what we're going to do just as a class together uh, this evening. We're going to talk about the God that we believe in. I'm going to put some words on the screen, on the monitor, and to kind of guide us. But I want you to feel completely um, at home, at ease, to take one or more of these words that I believe describes God and uh, help us discuss uh, these concepts about God. I'm going to put all 12 words on the, on the monitor and then we're just going to ease through them. And so um, you... Um, you're welcome to discuss them. We'll just discuss these words in order. And so here we go. We believe the Bible teaches in a God, the God that speaks, the God that saves, the God that shepherds, the God that sanctifies, the God that searches, the God that sees. We believe in the God that sends. God that stays, 
a God that sympathizes, a God that stands, a God that strengthens, and we believe in the God that separates. And so with these words in mind, let's discuss the God that we believe in, that we follow, that we rely upon. What comes to your mind when you think about the God that speaks? What comes to your mind when you think about the God that speaks? Creation? He speaks through creation. Okay? Okay. Alright. So we think about creation because God said, let there be light, right? And God spoke the world into existence. Right? Turn your Bibles over to Psalm 33. Notice exactly what um, we're speaking of here, Psalm 33. <clears throat> Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. It was done. He commanded and it stood firm. It's a very good point. When we think about God, the God that speaks, He spoke the world into existence. Psalm 33. Very good. What else do you think about when you think about the God that speaks? Actually, I think of John 3.16. He says it all. Or he said it all. Okay. Ken says he, speak, he thinks of John 3.16. Explain, elaborate, elaborate on that a little bit. He loved us so much that he gave his son. I mean, what else can, could he do or could he say? What else could he do other than give a child for everyone else that doesn't deserve it? Okay. So Ken saying John 3.16, Jesus um, said it all. Uh, he wrapped it up. He summed up a great deal of God's love and what God is trying to say to us in that he sent his son to die for us. Okay. The God that speaks. God that speaks. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 and 2. Okay, read that real loud, Mark. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 and 2. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 and 2. Alright, so at different times and different ways, God has spoken unto the fathers uh, through the prophets, but has at the end of these times, in these last days, He's spoken unto us through His Son. God is the God that speaks. We spent a good deal of time with this idea the last several weeks in our Back to the Bible studies, how that God uh, has eventually... Uh, speaks to us as he worked out his plan and he now speaks to us through uh, the New Testament. But Jesus came. John 1.18, Jesus is in the bosom of the Father and so he's able to declare the Father, make known to us the Father's ways to us. He did this through his teaching. 
He did this through his example, and he did this through preparing, qualifying the apostles. And of course, he sent, in addition to all that, he sent the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. They went forth. And so now God speaks to us uh, through the New Testament, through his son, but through the uh, words of his son, basically. God that speaks. All right, what comes to your mind when you think about the God that saves? The God that saves. What comes to your mind when you think about the God that saves? Any verses? Any? Okay, Acts 20 and verse 28, Mike say. Acts 20, verse 28. Where Paul to the, uh, to the elders at, at Ephesus said, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of the Lord which he has purchased with his own blood. Where would we be without the blood of our Lord? Okay, Ken's adding there, Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he that does not believe will be uh, condemned. We looked at that one pretty closely there Sunday night. And we um, had um, the comparison made, he that, he that eats, how to go, he that eats and digests uh, will be made whole, but he that does not eat um, you got to eat before you digest. you got to believe before you're baptized. All right? The God that saves. Anybody else want to uh, throw in something here concerning the God that saves us? Merciful. Speak up. Merciful. Oh, how merciful He is. Absolutely. In that regard, look over to Titus chapter 3 for just one second. Titus chapter 3 goes, mercy and salvation are combined right there. Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness as we, we have done ourselves, but according to His mercy. According to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul, what, what particularly do you have in mind when you think about the mercy of God? He sent his son. Right. Sent his son. Hebrews chapter 8 discusses how much better you covered is the old. Verse 12 he says, For I will have to I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sin and to their dignity that I remember no more. And it is said that you covered and make it the first old now that you can't make the old and ready to make it Okay. Brother Rogers is bringing out Hebrews 8, verse 12 and 13, where God is merciful to us in our unrighteousness, and He will promises to remember our sins uh, no more. 
no more. So that that is a great deal said there about mercy. Mercy. God has pity on us because he understands we have no other way. We have no other hope but him. He has mercy and pity upon us. And he makes that promise to us. One of my favorite verses about salvation is actually Isaiah 12 and verse uh, 3, if you want to mark that in your Bible. Isaiah 12 and verse 3. Verses 2 and 3. Uh, it would just, really just be great to read the whole chapter, Isaiah 12. We won't do that. Let's just read verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 12, 2 and 3, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, we shall draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. That's salvation in a nutshell right there. God provides the salvation you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? He gives us the wells of salvation. Come and drink. Come take a drink. Come get all you want. But we must come to him in the way he is appointed. All right. The God that speaks is also the God uh, that saves. That saves. Let's move on to the God that shepherds. How is God like a shepherd? How do you think God is like a shepherd? Do what? He sees after his flock. That's right. He sees after his flock. He wants us to be part of his flock so that he can take care of us. He knows what's best for us. He knows what is best for our good. He can lead us to the paths of righteousness, paths of safety. And eventually lead us home uh, to Him. God is like a shepherd. Shepherds His people. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Him bringing up Romans 8.31 What can we say about these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He is the great shepherd. Let's look at a couple passages just right here from the New Testament about God and being a shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This verse in particular describes how much God wants to be our shepherd. So look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the bishop or overseer of your souls. You were straying like sheep. And that describes all of us. Sometimes we still stray like sheep. Good news is we can return to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. But notice how much God wants that to happen because you can notice verse 24. 
verse 24, 1 Peter 2. It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by His wounds you have been healed. See, God provided Jesus on the tree. That's how much He wants to be the shepherd and the bishop of our soul. Now jump over to Hebrews uh, 13, not far in your Bible. Hebrews number 13, ah, 20 and 21, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. If this is not a verse you don't want to read before you go to bed, I don't know what's wrong with you. Look at Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. How about somebody reading this for us? Real loud. Chapter 13, 20 and 21. This is what they sometimes call like a benediction or a... I don't know, what is it they call these things at the end of the book? Miss Phyllis, what do they call these things? Benediction. It's, an, it's another... There's another word. Um, not a gloss. No, it's, it's like a... It's like a concluding phrase, a concluding. <laughs> benediction. There's another word for benediction. Anyway, this is one of them. <coughs> Who's reading for us? Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace. Isn't that a great passage? You can sleep on that. Also, it makes you think. But it's all for the glory of God forever and ever. And He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And this all is able to be because of the blood of the eternal covenant. See that? Dedication. Do what? Dedication. Yes. That, that, does a, that does encourage us, motivate us for complete dedication. I said, is that the word you were looking for? Dedication? Oh. No, that's not it, Angie. Invocation, maybe? I thought you were talking about the well, verse. The yeah. I give up. I, I'm not Benedict. in Yeah, I didn't mean, I, it's, it's not really a benediction, it's another one. Yes. It'll come to me. It's kind of like an amen. Salutation. Salutation is a greeting. That's close. Salutations is probably closer, much closer. Exhortation. It's an, ex, it's an exhortation at the end of a book or letter. Final exhortation. It gives a great summary, and it just it just it closes with some nice thoughts. Resolution. 
resolution. Boy, it almost came to me. Okay, once you look at one other passage with me to uh, on the shepherd, because it's just something we need to mark. Uh, back in the book of Genesis, all the way, hurry, all the way back, chapter forty-eight. When Jacob is stretching out his right hand to lay it on Joseph's sons. Joseph's sons, who were they? Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 14, Genesis 48, 14. Israel stretched out his right hand laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hand, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, verse 17, Joseph didn't understand what, it, what Jacob was doing, but nonetheless, notice verse 15 says, He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Notice this. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Now underline that. That's Jacob talking right there as before he dies, he says, The God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life and all the way down to this day. Okay. God is a wonderful shepherd. And it's his leadership. It's his leadership. Uh, he leads us by both his teachings, his compassion, and his example Okay, the God that shepherds. Next, notice the word sanctify. What does sanctify mean? Okay, to set apart. What do you what are your thoughts about the God that sanctifies? The God that sets apart. Okay, he sets he sets his people apart. Apart from, from what? Sins. Okay. And from the rest of the world, maybe? Okay. God that sanctifies, sanctifies. It's, it's related, I guess, to um, the fact that God calls us out of the world. We, we often talk about the word church, ecclesia, a, a, calling, a calling out of, calling out of the world. God does that when he, when he brings us the gospel, when we understand it and we submit to it. He's calling us out of the world. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. So let's look at a few verses about this. Anyone who is sanctified is set apart for a particular purpose. And that all, of course, uh, comes together in our mind because we know the Lord has purposed us uh, to bring glory to His name. All right. He's bringing up a good one, Ephesians 5, 25, 26. Ephesians 5, 25, and 26. Go ahead, Keith, read that. Husbands, love your wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with 
Okay. So, Jesus' death always uh, is prominent because we couldn't we couldn't have sanctification or salvation uh, without his death. But then, verse twenty six, Ephesians five sanctifies his church through the washing of water and the word. The word. Notice how that Titus three five mentioned the washing of regeneration. Now here, Paul mentioned the washing of water. We didn't come up with baptism. We didn't. That's not a tradition of man. Not a tradition of the churches of Christ. It's, it is something that God has brought into His Word over and over again. Okay. But, Paul's reading there from 1 Timothy 6, uh, 15 and 16, which uh, another passage that exalts our Lord. Uh, he is much higher than man. He dwells in unapproachable light. And only to Him belongs glory and power and dominion. Okay? That's good. Appreciate that. Let's think just another moment about the God that, that sanctifies. sanctifies. And while we're right there in Timothy, look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. Notice verse 21. What happens to Christians? 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, that's, that, uh, that's us, he will be a vessel for honor, for honorable use, set apart, set apart, set apart as holy, useful meat for the master's use, and ready for every good work. That's, that's what the Lord intends for us. That's what He does to us as we come and submit to Him, to His Word. Uh, he sets us apart. We are now uh, a peculiar people or a people just for Him. So that, that's a beautiful thought there. Turn um, quickly to Hebrews. Uh, chapter 13 once again. Hebrews 13. Notice closely Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Jesus also suffered outside the city or outside the gate in order to sanctify His people through His own blood. How thankful we are. But notice Jesus suffered outside the city, outside the gate. 
Notice the next verse. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he uh, endured. The Lord sanctifies us through His blood. That's, that's how. When does this happen? When we submit to Him in baptism. So, putting Ephesians 5.26 together with Hebrews 13.12. It's done through the blood of Jesus. But at what point? When we're washed with the washing and regeneration, the washing of the water. But outside the camp, it's it's an interesting thing to me. Now, Jesus had to uh, drag his cross from the halls of Pilate to out to the hill of Golgotha. And crucifixion was such a gruesome very distasteful, smelly thing. They would not dare do it inside, close to them. They they had to get rid of them outside uh, the city. The, uh, The encouragement here to the Hebrews was don't go back to the old law. Go to him who died for you outside the camp. Notice verse... Hebrews 13, 13. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he bore. Many of the Christians of the first century receiving so much pressure from their friends, especially the Jewish persuasion, that have not become Christians. In fact, some of that pressure was turning into persecution. And the apostle here is saying, don't give up. Go to him who died for you outside the camp and endure for him. Remember what he endured for you. And you you endure for him now. Alright, so the God that shepherds, the God that sanctifies. What comes to your mind when you think about the God that searches? What does God search? What is God known to search? He's a searching God. He searches the hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17. Notice that statement. He will search your heart. He he knows our hearts up and down, inside and out. And that is a statement, I believe it's Jeremiah 17. Be sure to mark your Bible so you can get back to it. What do you do when you mark your Bible? Do you make a bracket? Do you put a star beside it? Do you highlight it? Do you underline it? You've got to mark your Bible so you can find your way back. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. And I test your minds to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's what God does. We must get to the point where we can pray, Lord, come and search my heart. Come and search my heart. 
If you look at Psalm 139.23, that's what's being prayed. Psalm 139.23, Lord, come, come search my heart. And you might as well pray that way because He already knows our hearts. And if there's anything in there that needs to be confessed, we need to confess it to Him. Notice the prayer of Psalm 19.14. You've already got it memorized. May the words of my mouth, how does it go? Yeah. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And that's the prayer we've got to pray. The Lord searches the heart. He searches a lot of things, but searches the heart. Another passage to write down there, we won't turn over there. First uh, Chronicles 28, verse 9, when David is charging Solomon as David is about to, to go the way of all the earth, he he charges Solomon. He says, Solomon, you, you serve God. He knows your hearts. I don't think Solomon took up that advice real fast, did he? But he, I think eventually he did. But um, he let the ways of the world turn his heart away from... In fact, actually says that, don't it? First um, Kings 11, 3 and 4 says that all those women that Solomon had turned his heart away from the Lord. David had warned him, said, the Lord is one who searches your heart. You stay with him. What do you think about when you think about the God that sees? What does God see? Sees everything. All right. How do we know that? How do we know that God sees everything? The Bible says it does, right? He's an all-seeing God. Okay. Where is that in the Bible? Let's see. One would be Proverbs 15.3, right? The eyes of the Lord. Is that the one that says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He's looking upon both the good and the evil. The God that sees. God that sees. That's why we love those passages that talk about being pleasing in the sight of the Lord. What is pleasing in the sight of the Lord? We know what pleases man. We know what pleases us. But we want to please the Lord. Everything is in His sight. I believe that's how this ends. Let's see. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Peter's talking about, um, definitely talking to young women here. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be the outward adorning, external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of your clothing. But let it be the, the uh, adorning of the hidden person of the heart, which is an uh, incorruptible beauty, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is very precious. 1 Peter 3, 4. We're looking for those things that in the sight of God are very precious. God, the God that sees. God that sees. One of our leftover verses from Sunday we didn't get to in Luke 16, we're talking about the uh, rich man and Lazarus. 
And really, Jesus was discussing the, the, the evil of riches all down through Luke 15, Luke 16. Luke 16, 15 says, What is exalted among men is an abomination to God. That's close to what Peter's saying here. But Jesus says this in Luke 16, 15. What is exalted among men, if you'll just think about that. Think about how that plays out and is true. Think about what man exalts. What does man glory in? That's usually an abomination to God. So the God that sees. The God that sees. It's an amazing thought. The Lord is seeing us right now. But he's also seeing whatever is happening in Russia right now. He'll be, he can see in your home tonight. But also see in someone's home, everybody, every person's home uh, in Alaska tonight. Very same time. It's it's beyond amazing. The God that we serve, the God that sees. I want to think about at least one other word here. And really this word got me started on this these thoughts. I never had really thought about this very much. The God that stays. The God that stays. There are going to be people who will run out of your life. And you, they'll disappoint you. But God will never disappoint us. The God that stays, when everything else looks like it's falling apart, will still be God. still be God. Let's go back to where Ken was a moment ago. Romans 8. Ken, why don't you read this for us? Romans 8, 35 to the end of the chapter. Think about the fact that we serve a God that that he stays no matter what's going on. You know, he's still there. He's still, he's still very close by. Uh, Romans eight thirty-five to thirty-nine. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep. For the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. You know, when we were in teenage class, I remember I grew up at Curry Church of Christ, down over near Smith Lake, and, and us, uh, us teenage boys, we, when the teacher would ask us about a Bible verse, we, we all had the same answer. We would look up and say, that's self-explanatory. That was a, it, was, it was very foolish, but we were rednecks, we didn't know anything. So that's just self-explanatory. But this verse really is. What can you add to this these passage? God doesn't leave us. There's nothing that that can interrupt our relationship with God. Think about that. There's nothing that can derail our relationship with God. I wonder how that would feel if you're one of those in Tennessee right now who has lost everything. And a sudden sudden burst at 2 a.m. in the morning 
Every, all your, your world is just gone. Maybe your kids, grandkids, maybe your possessions, in just one flash it's all gone. Are you able to look at Romans 8 and hang on to the Lord? Well, in theory you can. Maybe in real life it would be very difficult. But in theory, nothing has really changed. God is still with you. And He'll help get you back on your feet no matter what. Thank you so much for going through a few of these thoughts about the God that we serve. We want to always be ready to talk about the one that we love so much and who loves us more than we can know.